many believe that the Bible is prudish about sexual desires. The truth is that God uses the natural pull of a young man toward a woman to illustrate the decision he will have to make whether to fall in love with God's will or evil's will. Remember in early adolescence when you first began to feel those urges? Dave begins our study reminding us of those wonder years. They are times of decision. I remember when I was about 13 years old, uh, that's when my older brother got married. And the reason I remember wasn't that the wedding was so significant, but I remember, I, maybe I was only 12, something like that. But I remember that was the very first time that I began to realize that in this world, there weren't just fellas that you could throw snowballs with and you could go sleigh riding with, but there was another entity in the universe called a girl. I remember in my brother's wedding, they have this practice, you know, that you have all these bridesmaids and everything, and the girls get all dressed up and everything, and as a 12 or 13-year-old kid, I didn't let anybody know. I think maybe I want to talk to my mother in the deep, dark recesses of an evening and just expressing a little bit, asking a few questions, because you know when you just start going through adolescence, you have these deep stirrings within you, but at first you don't want to let anybody else know about it, and maybe you don't even let yourself know about it. And this girl, you know, just really became a little bit attracted to me. And I remember that pull, that pull that I began to experience for the very first time in my life. Now, Satan likes to use that pull as you go through adolescence to cause you to get involved very possibly with the wrong kind of a person, the wrong kind of a woman, a woman that would hurt you or vice versa, a man that would hurt you. But what I want you to realize this morning is that the book of Proverbs uses that idea. I think all of you are smirking a little bit. But one thing I know that every single one of you, whether it be a man or a woman, you know what it's like to start to feel that pull. Eventually I met the right woman and she pulled really hard and I've been totally hooked ever since, all right? I think all of you know deep in your heart, those of you that have reached adolescence and grown up through that, you know what it's like to have that pull, that attraction. The book of Proverbs doesn't say that that pull, that attraction is evil. In fact, the scriptures teach us, teach us that it's a very holy thing. In fact, the book of Proverbs will use that pull, that attraction, that desire to be in love with a beautiful woman. Figuratively, the book of Proverbs will use that of the appeal that wisdom makes to you as men and women, whether you be children, whether you be teenagers, whether you be adults. I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. And we want to look at wisdom's public ministry. We're going to find out who really has the last laugh. Proverbs chapter 1. And it begins with wisdom. And wisdom in this section of, uh, refers back to God's blueprint. But she is pictured as a very beautiful woman. Chapter 9 is going to bring us back into this picture of wisdom calling aloud. Look at Proverbs chapter 1 verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. In the gateway of the city she makes her speech. What we have in these first couple verses of wisdom's appeal, we have the presentation that this beautiful woman who can teach you how to live skillfully, someone that you can love and she won't let you down. This blueprint that God has designed for us, the way that we really ought to live, is out there in the marketplace. 
I want every single one of you to realize that morality is not a private affair. You see, the book of Proverbs talks about right choices and wrong choices. It talks to you about people that are dangerous. We learned about how to overcome the criminal con. We learned about some of the techniques that maybe a, a drug pusher might use to try to seduce us into a life of illegality. And what the book of Proverbs wants to do is very lovingly to teach you how to live skillfully. What wisdom is saying is that she's not locked up in the walls of this building. In our society, it's very acceptable to talk about right and wrong, about Jesus Christ, about the fact that He died on the cross for our sins, about the fact that He rose again. It's very acceptable to talk about those things. In fact, one of the realities is I can tell you the truth. I can hit you right between the eyes with the truth. And the tragedy that is some of you might be dead asleep. In other words, hitting you right between the eyes with the truth might just be an interruption to your slumber. Because we come to a building like this and we sing some songs and we pray and we hear a few scripture verses and the preacher gets up and gives his little presentation of the week and then we go out and live our just any way we please. And the idea is let's lock up the things that we talk about today. Those things really don't apply tomorrow morning in the Monday morning world, the marketplace of life. The Lord Jesus, God, never meant for the book of Proverbs or for Genesis all the way through Revelation to be just the private province of a group of preachers that just speak maybe once or twice a week and share with you all as a group of believers. You see, wisdom is much more important than that. Wisdom is a message of life. To reject God's plan for skillful living could be your death. And what the book of Proverbs is saying in these verses is that, is that wisdom doesn't just cry out in a church. Look what it says. She says, I'm crying aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares at the head of noisy streets and the gateways of the city. When Mary and I were visiting the city of Jerusalem, I think I, I pictured for the very first time in my life what wisdom was talking about. Because in the ancient world, they did have gates to their city. There isn't a gate to Midlothian. There's not gates to our city. But in the ancient world, they would erect a wall around their city for protection, and then the gates would be erected in that wall, and they would be major places of commerce, of education. If you go to the city of Jerusalem today and to the old city, there is still what's called the Damascus gates. There's several other gates, but the Damascus gate is one of the largest gates. It's the gate that leads to the north, the northern area of Israel, and it's a big gate. And there's a big courtyard outside that gate. And I've sat there by the hour just sitting on the stone wall watching what goes on at that gate. You can walk through the gate and it's like being in a supermarket. I mean, everybody's there. It's an open market and you can buy all kinds of things. You can go a little bit farther and there's all kinds of leather goods and all kinds of commercial transactions. You can go a little bit farther and there's banks and you can interchange your money. You can walk out on the outside of the gate and look around and there's hundreds upon hundreds of people that are milling around. Some of them are sitting alongside there smoking and talking and others are on the other side drinking Turkish coffee, and, which is really strong. In other words, it's a bustling scene of activity. Wisdom is saying that's where she is. She's right there at the Damascus gate calling out to anybody that will listen. 
She's not a street preacher in the sense of what you think of a street preacher, of somebody like on the streets of New York that stands up and is kind of a fanatic and maybe has his hair kind of, kind of weird and, and people just kind of rush past him. In the ancient world, the place to talk, the place to present a message was right in the middle of that gate at the place of commerce, at the place of market, the place of banking, at the place of business. You say, well, Dave, what does it have to do with us? I believe with all my heart in that the things that we're learning from God's holy word are meant to be publicly proclaimed in the marketplace. There was a politician, in fact, you know, Kumo of New York said years ago that his own stand on abortion was his own private belief. It was just something that he believed in his religion and it really should not influence the way he conducted public policy. And that frame of mind, another politician just met with a group of people and somebody raised his hands and asked him about AIDS and he said, well, AIDS really isn't a public problem. It's not really a moral problem. It's, it's just a physical problem. In other words, you can believe anything you want to about morality. AIDS doesn't have anything to do with morality. It has to do just with physical problems, with external diseases that our bodies might get. So I want you to start to think about that because many of you as believers have the idea that what I believe about right and wrong, what I believe about morality, is for my own private consumption. It's not for the public marketplace. The first thing I want you to really nail down on your thinking is there's no such thing as private morality. There's no such thing about the fact that you can get involved in doing what is foolish, what is unskillful, what is not right, do it all by yourself, and have it only affect you. Every sin that you do has ramifications that go out like dropping a rock into a stream and the concentric circles keep radiating forth. Any sin that you do and you say, oh no, I've got my own private one. Maybe you only do it to yourself. Maybe it's something that only you know about, but it influences your personality and your personality is interlocked with everyone else that you come in contact with. For example, like if you're serving on your job, your belief about telling the truth is not just a private affair. I want all of you businessmen and women to think about board meetings you've, that you've had and think about the moral decisions that come up. And you as a believer might say, oh no, you know, my belief is just a private thing and this is the business world, this is the secular world and those rules don't apply here. So you just kept quiet. Now, what I want you to do is to think for a minute. What was said around that table? What was spoken around the table? What views were presented around that table? Were they views that had to do with ethics? Were they views that had to do with right? You see, even the statement, there isn't any morality, is a moral statement. In other words, it has to do with ethics. It's a denial of the idea that there's any standard. But that in itself becomes a standard. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, there isn't any private morality. Every one of us are influencers. So the, the discussion is not whether or not I'm going to be an influence. I am an influence. The issue is what kind of an influence am I going to be? Brothers and sisters, I pray with all my heart that you'll listen and you'll see wisdom 
crying out in the marketplace. Because I believe if ever there was a time, if ever there was a need, today is the time, today is the time of need where you as a group of godly people need to be unafraid to proclaim your beliefs about skillful living in the marketplace. I mean, the other side gets up and screams bloody murder. We're so tolerant. There's a real strong right wing that some of you can say, well, you know, boy, they're just too loud. I don't really like their attitude. And I really agree with their views, but I really don't like the way they present it. And some of that's true. But what I'm sharing with you, don't let that dampen you to cause you not to say anything at all. To not do it skillfully. To not do it wisely. If you're, if you're in education, if you're in business, if you're in politics, whatever you might be involved in, other people are stating their views. Don't be afraid to present the views of Proverbs. One of the biggest tragedies of our day is that we've locked the skillful living of the Holy Scripture into the walls of a church. You know, originally Jesus Christ preached, Jesus himself didn't preach in a building like this. Jesus very seldom really taught in a building like this. In fact, there weren't buildings like this. There were synagogues and they were mostly much smaller. Most of the time when Jesus spoke, it was right out on the hillsides right out on the streets. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, and his sidekick, George Whitfield, would meet out in the commons. They would go into a town like Midlothian, and in those days it was very common for large groups of people to gather in a place like Kimball Park. And they would get a couple thousand people in Kimball Park, and John Wesley would have arrived from the next town, and he would have preached skillful living in the marketplace. We've gotten away from those days. You see, we lock the message up. What I want to share with you, the more that you think about how beautiful and how good and how helpful the message is that you believe, the more confidence you'll have to cry out in the marketplace. It's so important. I want to really challenge you because I want to encourage you. As a church family, I feel this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit has done in our group. A lot of you really are crying out in the marketplace. Our church family hasn't had a mentality where we are separate from the world, which means we're isolated from the world. We believe very strongly we need to be different than the pride and the immorality and the materialism and the lust of the world. But we don't believe that we should divorce ourselves from unbelievers. And it really encourages me to be able to, to go into all different areas. And almost anywhere I go, I know that there's some of our people Believers in Christ, people that believe in the Word of God, that are standing up in the marketplace and doing it not obnoxiously, but doing it skillfully. Because wisdom was wisdom. She didn't do it obnoxiously. She did it skillfully. But she reached out. She cared. She cared enough to proclaim a message, not just privately. Last week we had a father talking with his son about the drug culture, about getting enticed into a life of illegality. This week we have wisdom publicly proclaiming a public message, not just a home message, but a, but a, a marketplace message. Now, how did people respond? Well, let's, let's look at verse 22 and go on with wisdom's rejection. Some of you say, well, Dave, man, I get abused. When I stand up in the public marketplace, people laugh at me. Some of the guys at work, some of the girls at work, they tease the living daylights out of me. 
And that's hard to take, isn't it? I mean, you can feel like a little midget. You feel like, man, maybe I'm kind of weird. And I look at the audience and I think of some of my other friends that I know, like on a construction job, how you get laughed at if, if you don't join in with the cursing and you get laughed at there at the steel plant if you don't listen to all the dirty jokes and, and you just stand for something different. And know how it's important that we don't reject people. We don't want to be, you know, goody two-shoes that communicate, well, I'm too good for you, because we're not. It's by grace that we've been saved. But we are different. Our values are different. And it's hard to be different. And from the teenagers and the children, from the grammar school to the high school, all the way into the adults working in business, or even on your own block as a housewife, your neighbor can abuse you if you stand for what is right, if you believe in what the Scriptures teach. And these next few verses should give you some encouragement because I really want you to have confidence. Wisdom laments in verse, 12, verse 22. She says, How long, you naive ones, you simple ones, the word there, this is our first class of fool, the naive one, how long will you naive ones love your naive ways? Now remember we were introduced to this first class of fool. Remember this fella, the naive fool. And this is who the book is addressed to. His major characteristic is this big mouth. He's very open to just taste anything. He has a gigantic appetite, only he has no discernment. You can give him a pill of cyanide and he'll swallow it down and kill himself. He's just naive. He's just open-minded. The tragedy is here, according to the book of, of Proverbs, verse 22, he loves, she loves her naive ways. She, she takes pride. He takes pride in the fact He's very open-minded. Basic characteristic, gullibility. We're introduced to another fellow, though, this scoffer. And look what it says about this scoffer. How long will you mockers, you scoffers, delight in mockery? How long will you scoffers delight in sarcastically ridiculing, mocking the things of God? Let me put a few characteristics of this mocker up here for you. The basic characteristic of this individual is a prideful, arrogant self-sufficiency. 21 verse 24, arrogance, pride, insolent pride, scoffer is his name. You see, a lot of times in life you start out being naive. You start out being open-minded. A lot of you are open-minded. That's who wisdom needs to talk to. I don't ask you to buy everything that I say. I ask you to get into the Word of God. I ask you to open your heart to the truth of God's Word. As a pastor teacher, I'd love to sit down and answer any questions you would have. We don't want to create an atmosphere of, of just do exactly what I tell you. Don't think about it. We want you to think. We want you to learn. We want you to grow. We want you to feel free to ask questions. The naive person, however, though, is much more open to the false side, to the dark side, to the immoral side than they are to the right side. And that open-mindedness starts to slide down the slide, and I want all of you to ask yourself, are you a ridiculer? Are you a mocker? I think in all of our lives, it's easy to go through a time where the really in thing, I remember when I was a teenager, one of the in things that we went through was to have a sharp tongue. Remember those days? In other words, if you could one-up somebody and sarcastically rip them to smithereens with your tongue, that was really in. You know, the guy that had that sharp tongue that could cut someone down to the quick. Now, some of that is not exactly what is being talked about here, but it's on the way. The mocker jokes, 
ridicules, laughs about things that are deadly serious. Some other characteristics of this arrogant, self-sufficient pride is that he enjoys scoffing at skillful living. If this scoffer is here today, let me give you some characteristics. If it's, a, if it's a teenager, the scoffer has a person like this. Your mom and dad make you come to church. That's a real bummer for you. So what you do is, you know, you're not big enough to, your dad still weighs a little bit more than you, and so you can't just stand up and say, no, I'm not going to go. Also, he's a, still a little bit too intimidating. So you still come. But your characteristic is that as we're teaching the Word of God, this is what the scoffer does. What a bunch of baloney. You know, what a, what a bunch of, this, this stuff is hooey. And you, what you do is you make jokes. See, I was raised in this kind of a culture. I was raised in an evangelical church. And I, I, I remember what some of us had a temptation to do. The scoffer enjoys laughing about skillful living. They don't have open ears. They shut their ears, and anything they hear, they just twist it a little bit and make a joke out of it. They scorn parental discipline. The scoffer will say, I don't have to obey you. None of the kids are really into obeying you. If you're an adult and you're involved with a scoffer, you say, my boss never knows what he's doing. What a real jerk. Man, I haven't been able to find a good boss all my life. They're all a bunch of idiots. If I was the boss, things would really get in shape. You ever met somebody like that? They're always ridiculing. They're always mocking authority. Everybody's always wrong. They're always right. That's the characteristic of a scoffer. You try to correct this guy. In other words, you know, someone that really loves him goes to this individual or this girl and says, hey, you're making a real idiot out of yourself. Everybody hates you because you're, you've got a, such a cynical, negative, scorning, mocking personality. Don't you know that you've lost three jobs not because everyone else is wrong and you're right? You don't do your job very well because you're always cutting people down. You turn people off. You're like sandpaper when we need oil in this business. And you go to the scorner and, and they scorn on you and say, who do you think you are for talking to me? Man, you're one of those fools along with everyone else. You're one of those, those administrative people that don't have the foggiest idea what they're doing. So all the way from the teenager yelling at mom and dad to the college student where all the professors are idiots, to the guy that goes into business or the girl that goes into business and all the administrators are idiots, that's the characteristic. He never listens. She never listens to correction. A fourth characteristic is they produce moral, uh, they produce political and social unrest. I want all of you young people to listen. You're going to go through a phase in your life, I promise you, you'll go through a phase in your life where you're going to be tempted to get involved in creating political and social unrest. Now, I want to share with you, our society has a lot of needs, a lot of tremendous needs. In fact, there's a lot of things that are really wrong. And we really need people that get up and stand up for what is right. But the scoffer does not know how to do that skillfully. The scoffer does it by tearing things down. We can only resist the seduction of the scoffer, of the moral dullard, and of the impenetrable block when we allow the source of wisdom to take up residence in our lives, Jesus Christ. As Dave exposed the demolition crew that seeks to destroy our lives and the lives of our kids, I pray that each of you have recognized the need to listen to what Proverbs has to say to prepare our children to face these challenges.
Disney World is make-believe. The real world is filled with criminal con games, sexual immorality, and a multitude of other pitfalls that can harm our children. Proverbs teaches us how to move them toward a personal commitment to God and to His skillful blueprint for living.